Yeah, we're going to continue this morning in our series that we've been in for the last couple of Sundays called Relatively Speaking. We've been looking at words from the Proverbs uh, that can transform our relationships. And just as a side note before we get into this this morning, for those of you who move back and forth from our Noblesville campus to our Carmel campus, uh, you may want to just stay seated for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be preaching this exact same message in Carmel next Sunday. So unless you just think this is a killer message and you want to hear it again, uh, just just stay here next weekend and you'll hear a fresh one, okay? But in week one of the series, we talked about the power of saying no. And we learned that saying no to some things is the only way that we can say yes to the right things. And and we saw that Jesus modeled this principle for us. He was always listening to his father's voice uh, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so if you're having trouble saying no, you might go on to our podcast and, uh, and download that one and give it a listen from time to time. In week two, we discovered the importance of saying, I understand, and how important it is to listen and to truly understand the people around us, to show them that we care for them. And we saw that a fool is someone who delights in airing their own opinions. So we don't want to be the fool. We want to seek to understand. And today, we're going to focus on a phrase that I believe as followers of Jesus Uh, This phrase is vitally important. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I still think this is a great principle, and I think there's going to be great benefit for you. But for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, this one really is essential, and we're going to see that. It's highlighted throughout Scripture. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's these two simple words, thank you. Just thank you. We're, we're going to talk about gratitude, and that's fitting, right? Because Thanksgiving is upon us. Uh, in just a few days, a lot of people consider what they're thankful for this time of year. And yet, as simple as it is, gratitude is something that's often overlooked in our day-to-day lives. Now, if you're a parent like I am, I I hope and I bet gratitude is something that you're striving to instill in your children. I know that for Beth Ann and I, we work hard toward this, but my son Josiah has a hard time being thankful for food he doesn't like. Maybe some of you have a picky eater in your family. That's Josiah, but I want to show you the policy in our family. This is the policy at the Krause house. Today's menu, eat it or starve, okay? And we have this sign hanging in our kitchen as a gentle reminder to our children uh, that they are welcome to eat what's prepared for them. They're also welcome not to eat it, but there's nothing else. So one night at the dinner table, Beth Ann set Joe's food in front of him, and immediately Josiah said, I don't like this. And Beth Ann explained to him that he may not like it, but it's what mommy made and he needs to eat it or he's going to go to bed hungry. To which Josiah looked at his mom and calmly replied, apology accepted. (laughs) It's not always easy to be thankful, is it? it? It's not always our natural response. In his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg addresses this topic of gratitude, and he talks about the power of thank you. And to illustrate this, Ortberg challenges his readers to a two-day experiment. On day one, the reader is challenged to start every conversation with a complaint. Complain about your health, complain about your job, complain about money, complain about family issues, or maybe take it to the next level and just complain about the people you're with. Tell them you don't like what they're wearing, you don't like their personality, tell them about their poor hygiene, just everything you can think of. Complain as much as you possibly can on day one. Pretty fun, right? Some of you are like, I didn't even read the book, and I'd do that already. (laughs) 
We know. Uh, but on day two, Ortberg says, you got to start every interaction on day two with a thank you. Okay? When you meet a friend, tell them, I just want to say thanks for being my friend. I'm so glad that God put you in my life, right? I, I, you know, maybe with a family member. It's, it's been a while since I said this, but, but thanks for being my mom. Thanks for being my dad or, or my spouse or, or my child. And spend the whole day thinking about what you're thankful for. It could be your health, you know, relationships, your job, whatever it might be. And then after the two-day experiment, ask yourself, which of those two days left you feeling more alive? Which of the two days left you feeling closer to God? And without even doing the experiment, we all know the answer, right? And Ortberg concludes with this point. He says, the soul thrives on gratitude. The soul thrives on gratitude. And I would say that the opposite is also true, that the soul starves without gratitude. I mean, we all know what it's like to be around people who aren't thankful, right? Can you, can you think of moments in your life where you've maybe been around someone like that? I got to hang out with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and he drives a bus for the city where he lives, and, uh, and it's a senior's bus. So he picks up senior citizens at the, at the uh, senior center, and he takes them to doctor's appointments and to the grocery store and just wherever they need to go, he drives them around. Well, he told me about this one lady that frequently rides his bus, and he said she's the kind of person who can take an absolute blessing and turn it into a curse. Like if the sun's shining, you know, we sure need the rain. And if it's raining, I sure wish the sun would, would shine. You know that kind of person. I bet you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, he went on to tell me that there's another guy there at the senior center that he picks up uh, at that same stop who actually looks to see if this lady's getting on the bus. And if he sees her, he turns around and goes back to his room because he just doesn't want to be around her. And my dad finds great joy in watching for this guy and, and his response. You just kind of have to know my dad. But have you ever, ever been around that kind of person? Or, or maybe let's make it just a little bit more personal. Is it easy for you to be that kind of person? Because here's what we read in Proverbs. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And in Veggie Tales, Madam Blueberry makes it very clear that a thankful heart is a happy heart. Okay? I'm a father of four. I can use VeggieTales references if I want to. But it's true. The cheerful heart that Proverbs speaks of is a result of gratitude. And if you're a follower of Christ, this is more than a suggestion. This is more than just a good way to live. For followers of Jesus, gratitude is actually a command. Did you know that? Gratitude and thanksgiving they're commanded and they're expected. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is going to be our key verse for this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is part of God's will for your life and for mine. Here's the part I want to really zoom in on today. Here's the principle that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Give thanks in all circumstances. And man, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, just considering what some of you are going through right now, you're probably asking, how am I supposed to give thanks in the middle of this? 
I'm not thankful for a mortgage I can't pay or a sickness that I can't shake or, or the loss of someone I love. How am I supposed to be thankful in all circumstances? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. And I want to tell you right now, the answer is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's going to take some real effort to put it into practice. Give thanks in all circumstances. So to see this principle illustrated, I want to invite you to turn uh, with me to the book of Luke. If you brought your Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, there are some under the seats around you. This is going to be on page 731 of the House Bible. But Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to spend a little time. And we're going to start in verse 11. So Luke 17, verse 11, here's what it says. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And let's pause right there. Jesus is traveling along the border of Samaria. And this isn't the first time that we've found him there. Elijah referenced the Son of Man series. And we talked about when Jesus traveled through Samaria. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. And Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. They didn't like each other. In fact, that's putting it too softly. They hated each other. Jews hated Samaritans so much that if they had to travel between Jerusalem and Galilee, they would go all the way around Samaria, which sat right in between the two. They would take the long way around because it it was, you know, to be avoided at all costs if you were a Jew. But Jesus doesn't take the long way. Why is that? Did he just enjoy a good shortcut? I mean, he was fully man, so that might have played into it, but I think there was more than just that. The first time that uh, we see Jesus going through Samaria is in John chapter 4. And it says there, he had to go through Samaria. Well, we know geographically that's not true because everyone else walked around Samaria. He could have gone around. But as we talked about in our Son of Man series, he had to go through Samaria because it's what the Father had told him to do. He was always listening for the voice of his Father. And obedience is God's love language. So Jesus made it a priority to obey And even in a culture that said, stay away, those people are to be hated, Jesus wasn't listening to the crowd. I think that's why we find Jesus on the the border of Samaria here again in Luke chapter 17. Pick it up in verse 12. It says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now this wouldn't have been all that out of the ordinary in Jesus' day. The the lepers would have been outside the village living by themselves so as not to infect anyone else. If you don't know, leprosy is a disease that attacks the central nervous system, but it shows itself through the skin primarily. Uh, Tumor-like growths will appear on the skin and they'll they'll make the skin crack and and it's it's just a horrible disease. But at the same time, it causes a loss of the sense of pain. And so someone who has leprosy can literally burn themselves over a fire and feel absolutely nothing. The disease leaves people deformed and it it even leads to the loss of limbs in its more advanced stages. So as we read this text, you can know that anyone who had leprosy was, was feared and they were removed from society and they were forced to live out on the outskirts of the villages where maybe they had grown up. And if anyone got too close to them, they were required by law to shout out, unclean, unclean, leprosy, just to warn people to stay away. So it makes sense that these men were standing off at a distance as they yelled to Jesus, have pity on us. Well, in verse 14, 
When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, it says, they were cleansed. Now, isn't that interesting? Because Jesus doesn't heal them immediately. He says, go ahead, go show yourself to the priests. Because the priests were the ones who could declare that these men were indeed clean. They could re-engage with society. They didn't have to be isolated anymore. But when Jesus tells them to go, they're not clean yet. I mean, wouldn't you question that? Like, Jesus, shouldn't I be clean before I head off to the priest? I'm still, you know, covered in growths and missing some fingers. And, you know, maybe we should take care of that first. But the text doesn't say that. Even with the disease clearly still in their bodies, they trust Jesus. They take a step of faith. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. There's a whole other sermon right there, just about living lives of faithfulness. But what I really want you to see is what happens next in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back. And I don't even think this guy made it to the priest before he saw what Jesus had done for him. He sees he's been healed and he sees he's been restored and he comes back and it says, praising God in a loud voice, he, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Now it's interesting that Luke points that out, isn't it? It makes you wonder, you know, were the other men not Samaritans? Maybe they were Jewish. Maybe the fact that they all had leprosy was stronger than the hate that Jews and Samaritans normally felt for each other. Did the Jewish lepers and the Samaritan lepers put down their differences and live together? Or, or maybe this guy was an outcast even amongst outcasts. Maybe he had to live all alone, make his own fire, make his own food, live in complete isolation from everyone, rejected even by those who knew the sting of rejection. We don't know, but look at what Jesus' response to the one who came back was. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? We're not, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And so Jesus highlights again, there's something different about this man. And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And what Jesus highlights is this. It's not enough to feel thankful. We've got to act on it. Feel it and express it. Why? Because God desires for us to be people moved and marked by gratitude, giving thanks in all circumstances. But what about the other nine? I mean, where is everybody else? Why didn't they come back? Well, Jesus wondered that too. Were they so caught up, you know, in the, in the joy of being healed that they just forgot about the one who healed them? And that's possible, did they feel like maybe God owed it to them to make them well? You know, there, there really wasn't anything to say thank you for. That's possible too. It's hard to understand how someone can be healed from something as terrible as leprosy and not to express gratitude for it, to just take it for granted. But in reality, you and I are in danger of doing that exact same thing. We really are. Think about what it really means to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, I can think of a lot of circumstances, even just in the last couple of weeks, that make me question whether that command is fair. But I think what it comes down to is this, and I want to speak now directly to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a reason to rejoice always. You have a reason to give thanks in all circumstances because you and I were suffering from a sickness far worse than leprosy. We were terminally ill with sin and we were headed toward hell. Eternal separation from God the Father, eternal suffering. And there was nothing we could do to change that reality. That's when Jesus added humanity to his deity. That's when he healed us from these bodies of death and he called us out of darkness and into light and he gave us a hope and a future with God for all of eternity and it cost him everything. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you understand that Christ became your sin, And then he paid for it with his own blood. And he endured death on a cross so that you could be made right with God. So that we could experience heaven. The only appropriate response is unending gratitude. Listen, I know that it's easy to be consumed by the troubles of this world. And the stress is real and sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? Jesus knew it would be. He flat out told us, you will have trouble in this world. You'll have it, bank on it, count on it. If you're not experiencing trouble right now, it's coming. It is coming. But Jesus also says this to you, take heart because I have overcome the world. Here's the good news. These problems that try to steal our joy and our gratitude, they're all temporary. They're all temporary. God has taken care of the eternal problem for us and he has provided us a hope to cling to in the midst of our temporary sufferings. The apostle Paul understood this so much so that he refers to our sufferings as light and momentary. Light and momentary. And and remember, this is the guy who was flogged and stoned and beaten and shipwrecked on a slave ship, uh, bitten by a deadly snake, and eventually put to death for the gospel of Christ. So don't think for a minute that when Paul says our sufferings are light and momentary, that he just doesn't know what suffering is about, that he just lived an easy life. No, but what Paul understood is this, that, that our, our, our light and momentary sufferings are in relation to what's ahead of us. That, that in the middle of these sufferings, that we have a hope that cannot be shaken. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You have been given an unshakable reason to be thankful in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of life's darkest days. And what I want for our church, for your life and for mine, is for us to be a church that's marked by gratitude. Not just that we would come in here, put our Sunday smiles on, you know, do our best to fake it, but that we would feel it in our bones and speak it with our lips and that God would be glorified in our thankfulness. So to that end, I want everyone here today or listening on the podcast to start putting this into practice. Today and throughout the month of December, I want us to put this into action. It's a busy time. It can be a difficult time and a stressful time, but here's what I want you to do. Every day for the next month, at the start of your day, I want you to write down three things that you're thankful for. 
Just three things without any repeats from one day to the next. Set a recurring event on your phone or a post-it note on your alarm clock or whatever you need to do to remind yourself to do this. But start your day thinking about what you're thankful for. And then when you have the opportunity, as you go throughout your day, I want you to act on that list. I want you to say thank you to your spouse or to your coworkers or to God. Whoever it is that's associated with what you're thankful for, go out of your way to thank them. You can send a note, you can say it in person, but act on it. I want you to join me in this and and let's just see, let's see what God does in our hearts and in our lives as we embrace his command to give thanks in all circumstances. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna start right now. You should have been given a sermon notes page when you came in. If you've got that uh, and you don't already have it out, pull that out. If you didn't get one, grab a connection card in front of you. But I want you to take some time right now this morning, and I want you to to start this gratitude training right now. I want you to write down uh, the first three things that you can think of that uh, that you're thankful for. And as you write those things down, I, I want you to make a plan to communicate your thankfulness sometime today. Like I said, maybe it's to the Lord, maybe it's to a specific person in your life. But let's take a couple of minutes right now and write down a few things that are worth your gratitude. For loving me, thank you 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 for fire.
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And as we bring this to a close, let's just recognize that it's really easy to respond like the nine who didn't come back. It's really easy. Most of us, if we're being honest, we failed at saying thank you when thank you was deserved. Instead of rejoicing and being grateful for what God has done, we focused on what he hasn't done. And it leaves us miserable, it leaves us fearful, it leaves us bitter, and it leaves us angry. And God's desire is not for us to live that way. This is God's will for you, that you would rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. So I wanna pray for you this morning, because like I said before, the principle is simple, but it's not easy. So I want to ask that you'd bow your heads with me right now. And here's what I want to ask uh, before I pray. If there's something in your life right now that's just overwhelming and is keeping you from living a life of gratitude, would you just put your hand in the air right now? I want to pray for you specifically. Thanks, I see those hands. So Father God, we come before you as your chosen people, your children, the ones that you love. And we thank you for that love, Father. We thank you for the grace that we've experienced in our lives. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. And I pray right now for my brothers and sisters who raised that hand, Father, to to say that, yeah, there is something in my life right now that is keeping me from living the life of gratitude that you desire. Lord, your word is very clear that as we come to you, we can cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us. Father, that also is not a suggestion. We recognize that. and We we ask for your forgiveness, Lord, when we've held our anxieties tightly, when we've worried over things that you've asked us to lay at your feet. And so I pray, uh, Father, for the strength and the wisdom uh, for these, my brothers and sisters, to do that even today, Lord to lay these things at the foot of the cross. Father, not that they're not real or that the stress isn't real, but Lord, that you are a good God in the midst of troubled times. Father, we want to be people marked by gratitude. We want to be people marked by lives of giving thanks, not just at this time of the year, Father, but every day of our lives because we know that it's your will for us in Christ Jesus. Would you help us to that end? Guide us by your spirit. Be glorified in our words and our thoughts and our actions even today. And we love you, Father. We are thankful for you. We are thankful for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.